Welcome to Industry Roundtable with Roger Reiswig. I'm Roger Reiswig, Fellow and Vice President of Industry Relations at Johnson Controls. In this series, I will host leaders in the industry to explore fire and life safety issues that matter to you. Hello and welcome to another edition of Industry Roundtable. I am Roger Reiswig. For today's topic for Industry Roundtable, we will discuss the National Disabilities Rights Network, or NDRN. My guest today is Mr. Curtis Decker. Kurt is the Executive Director for the NDRM. Welcome to Industry Roundtable, Kurt, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Kurt, could you provide our listeners with some of your background and your position with the NDRN? Roger, thank you for having me on today. Uh, I'm the Executive Director of NDRN and have been for quite some time. Uh, I've been involved in the disability community for about 40 years and I've been a lawyer um, working in the public's uh, uh, interest space for quite some time. Great. And along with Kurt, we have Mark Larson, who is a fire co-consultant for the NDRN. Uh, Mark Larson, you're a fire co-consultant, but your background is also a little unique. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you, Roger. Uh... I recently graduated, or a few years ago, graduated from being the fire marshal for the state of Idaho. I had that position for 14 years, but I got started in the fire service as a volunteer firefighter and EMT back in the mid-70s. So I spent 20 years as a volunteer guy, and then in 1994, I started doing this as as a career. and. Uh, I was fortunate to get hooked up with the NDRN in uh, about 2016. Uh, fantastic. So I guess to start out with, Kurt, maybe you're the best one to answer this one. Could you provide our listeners with um, what exactly is the NDRN, the National Disabilities Rights Network? When were they formed and why were they formed? The NDRN is actually the membership association of the federally funded protection and advocacy programs. These are very unique agencies created back in the late 70s, originally to investigate abuse and neglect in large congregate facilities for people with disabilities. But over our 40 year history, we've grown to being a cross disability program that provides legally based advocacy services to any person with a disability on issues related to their disabilities. And while we do a range of activities from special education and employment, we have also been the major enforcers of the Americans with Disabilities Act and really working on accessibility for people with disabilities to the variety of areas in our society to make sure people with disabilities are fully integrated in our society. And we have, we enjoy some very specific authorities uh, that uh, Congress has given to us. Um, we have access to any facility where a person with a disability lives, goes to school, or works. And that's unique authority allows us to get into places to see what are the conditions that people with disabilities are experiencing. And that has sort of led us to this whole issue of fire safety. What we found, and thanks to you, Roger, when I first met you, one of the things you said to me was, you know, NDRN and my affiliates, which happen to be in every state and territory, including Guam, and the Virgin Islands, uh, uh, you've been spending so much time trying to get people into buildings, uh, you really haven't thought about 
what happens about getting people out of buildings in in event of a fire or other kind of natural disaster that makes those places unsafe. That was a real wake-up call for us. And we began uh, to look at how we could use our special authorities and our power to try to protect people with disabilities that might be in those situations. And we discovered um, that there is this whole code enforcement a world that we were not a part of. That led us uh, to several things. One, we hired Mark Larson, who you'll hear from in a minute, to really be a representative of NDRN in the code world to make sure they're not in any way reducing the protections uh, through the code process to people with disabilities. And then we've also been enjoying a relationship with FEMA through all their fire safety grants. We're in the fourth year of a grant from FEMA to really uh, push out to all of our members throughout the country um, the issues of fire safety and have them as they go into these various places, whether it's a nursing home or a group home or even a personal home, to make sure there are the, the necessary elements, whether it's smoke detectors, it's fire extinguishers, evacuation plans, to make sure people with disabilities are not only getting into, into our society, but are also safe while they're there. You know, Kurt, you talk about, you know, I, I helped you out a little bit, but you helped me out immensely as well, understanding the disability side um, and how they look at life safety. And when I look at internally how we've done life safety codes, adding low frequency sounders or strobe lights, certain kin dollar ratings, and how someone like yourself really wasn't involved with that. And then we look at it, did we really do the right thing as an industry? And Mark coming in, I think this kind of completes the whole circle of um, how we're implementing access. You know, and you also taught me too, you know, and, and maybe you can sum it up better, but people that have a disability, they don't want more rights than people who don't have a disability, but they want equal rights. And that was something you kind of said to me that rang, rang true that I, I really didn't stop to think of. And I guess maybe if you could explain that a little bit more, if I'm, if I'm saying that right. Yes, I think you're explaining it very well. You know, I think the disability community very much just wants to have equal access to life uh, in our country, including the ability to participate in all of the various aspects, whether it's a restaurant or access to a doctor's office um, or any of the other arenas so they can go and enjoy sporting events. And so we're not asking for special rights. They're, they're asking for just the ability to be involved. Now, of course, that does come with a cost because then to make a building accessible, um, uh, for the range of people with disabilities, there has to be the physical accessibilities of ramps. Um, there may have to be uh, the uh, uh, devices to allow people who are deaf. Uh, um, how do people who are blind uh, access uh, tickets and, and, and purchasing of, of all kinds of things? The, the, the disability is very diverse, um, many different types of disabilities, many each with their own particular uh, issue that has to be addressed in order for them to participate fully in our society. And I, and then I think then we carry that over into the whole fire safety arena is that we really then have to, uh, as you said, design products that are really going to be able to alert that full range of people with disabilities that there is a problem, that there is a danger. You really uh, scared me a little bit when we first met when you said the tenability of a building has been reduced um, uh, dramatically 
because of the change in building codes, which means that people with disabilities who often move slower or might be uh, not get the notices or the warnings uh, that there's a problem have less time now to leave uh, a building that's in distress. Uh, and that's something I think that we are trying to now, in conjunction with the industry and through Mark's work, to make sure that, that that does not happen to the point that people are really put in some jeopardy. No, yes, exactly. And we talk about tenability and how the furnishings have changed and people have gone from 17 minutes of time to maybe three minutes of time. And to be able to alert people as quick as we can is more important today than ever. So, you know, and with, with ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act that has come out and other accessibility laws that have come out, you know, some of the projects that you've worked on, Kurt, because people just weren't paying attention or didn't know what to do, just absolutely uh, stunned me. Is there a couple of projects maybe that you've worked on over your career there at the NDRN that maybe our listeners might um, might know or how you contributed to the to the accessibility community? The ADA is an amazing federal statute. It passed now 32 years ago, believe it or not, uh, and it really was a major statement about uh, the, the right of people with disabilities to be participate in society. However, um, a, a large federal law like the ADA only works if there are people on the ground daily vigilant, making sure that it is enforced. And that is one of our most important roles, I think, is that out in those various states and territories, we're constantly watching to see that new buildings, existing buildings, transportation, just about anything uh, is, in fact, living up to the requirements of the ADA. And I always say that the ADA is sort of a glass half empty and half full. It has changed the face of our society. And I would say to some people on listening to the call, don't take for granted when you see lots of people out in a shopping mall or people with disabilities on the street. That only happened after a very strong federal law. On the other hand, there are still industries uh, and other individuals who have just ignored the requirements. We've spent an incredible amount of time trying to get Amtrak, for example, to uh, make uh, passenger rail accessible. They had they were given 20 years to comply with the ADA, and they did virtually nothing. And so these last 10 years, we have really been fighting with them, including some litigation, to make sure that that service is available to people with disabilities. We've done it with hotels um, who need to make sure that all aspects of, of the hotel industry are accessible, including swimming pools, um, making sure that they have um, uh, a whole system of being able to evacuate a hotel in the event of a fire. I've had some pretty uh, scary experiences being in a hotel for one of my meetings, which obviously brings in lots of people with disabilities, only to find out the hotel really wasn't prepared to deal with alerting a deaf person, for example, in their room that there was uh, the need to evacuate the building. So it's, it's, it's great to have federal legislation that set the standard of uh, equal access, but without good enforcement and constant vigilance, uh, things won't happen, things will slip back. I, don't, I have to say, we were, to the today, we will, we will often find a building that's being built um, without the right accessible features. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a constant back and forth of making sure that the, the promise of this statute 
really is making its way down to the individual who lives in whatever you know neighborhood, city, town that there's there. Yeah, and you've been a, a champion of some fantastic work um, for the uh, disability community. You talked about um, the buses, and now when the bus opens up the doors, it actually tells you what the next stop is. And every time I'm in public transportation and I hear that, I think of you and you telling me that story, where it's the cutouts and the curbs to go across the crosswalks uh, for people to be able to go down with a wheelchair, and they have the little lumber strips there for the people that are that are blind. It, it's just amazing work that you've done and, and I'm, I'm just impressed every time i hear you talk about it well thank you thank you roger and i also want to say to uh, the audience that doesn't have a disability the ada is for everybody uh first of all the disability community is something everyone can join rather quickly um and so if you're if someone's saying oh why are we giving these extra things to this particular population god forbid you have some kind of an injury or an accident that you suddenly now need those very those ramps and those other accessibles. The other thing about the ADA, which is interesting, it's been great for uh, mothers with baby carriages, uh, federal uh, FedEx uh, delivery people who love to be able to come into a building through the ramp. So it's had you know not only is it important for people with disabilities, but it's setting a whole making our whole society accessible and open to everybody, uh, regardless of, of, of their their disability or not. Fantastic, and thank you for all that work. You know, now shifting a little bit to the building codes and standards side, you know, we've been dealing with ADA since the early 1990s when it comes to NFPA, and we worked with um, strobes and the frequency of the strobe. We started out with uh, a third of a hertz, the flash once every three seconds, and then once every second, and then strobe synchronization, and then other things have morphed into 72 with frequency sounders for people with hearing impairments. So I know the NDRN is being very active now in the place safety arena. Mark's been doing a lot of great work with that. Mark, could you describe some of the work that you're doing and how you're helping to educate us, the people that do a lot of the codes and standards, to understand the need to also have um, the ADA or accessibility community become part of that? Well, it's, it's certainly been an, an interesting trip uh, working working with the NDRN. I know since uh, we, we began this uh, adventure, they put considerable time, effort, and, and resources into getting us to this point and, and where we're headed in the future. Uh, like right now, uh, I serve representing the NDRN on a number of chapters for 101 and NFPA 5000, board and care facilities, detention and correctional occupancies, residential occupancies, building service and fire protection equipment, means of egress, and building safety managers. And we've, we're just finishing uh, the first draft of a new standard for emergency action plans for buildings with an occupant load of 500 or more. And it's been an awakening experience, not just for me, but for everybody that I've worked with on uh, on these codes and standards, both with NFPA and on the ICC level, just having a seat at the table. You know, uh, even even NFPA, they have a, a disability access uh, research or ad advisory committee, but they're focused primarily on access and 
And what we've been able to focus on is getting people out of buildings. And as you know, Roger, and, and many of your listeners know, uh, oftentimes it isn't so much what you can get into the codes, it's what you can keep out. Right. And uh, having having the just a seat at the table has, has offered us tremendous opportunities and increased awareness on, on the part of a lot of folks in the in the industry and outside of the industry i mean uh, we've been asked to participate on a, a advisory review committee for a, a scientific research project for nfpa we were asked to participate on a ul standard uh, for emergency two-way communications between the areas of refuge and uh, just any number of other opportunities that have been afforded to us once people know that that we are in the mix and uh, with my background in in the fire service covering a few decades uh, it i was made aware that in all of the training that i've had and that i've given over the years except for a couple of things dealing with ems uh, i i can't count a single hour of training that i had or that i gave dealing with people with disabilities and uh, that was that was a real eye-opener for me because even as the muckety-muck for the great state of idaho uh, responsible for the adoption and enforcement of the fire code and especially with all state buildings uh, the ada matters that was somebody else's purview uh, we just did not get involved and my level of awareness was woefully inadequate and it, it wasn't because I wanted it to be. It was just never on my plate. And that's part of what we've been doing with some of the, the, the FEMA grants through USFA is bringing together fire service people and the disability community. We, we did workshops in each of the 10 FEMA regions just raising awareness of, of, of the needs and expectations of our community and their community. And it was it's it's been a wonderfully enlightening experience for everyone yes and you are a um a great resource to have added to nfpa 101 the life safety code and the building code nfpa 5000 and also to be a resource for a lot of us in the industry to be able to bounce ideas off of you know because you, you kind of said it you know, well that somebody else deals with the ada stuff you know I, i've been in the industry for over 35 years and for ADA, oh, you mean strobes, or you mean low-frequency sounders. And that's kind of it. We don't think about anything else. And then that, since working with Kurt and yourself, now we're, I'm thinking about, and the company is thinking about other things as far as how, how do we unlock doors or lock doors or using elevators to egress uh, occupants, you know, instead of just recalling the elevators and they sit still. There's just so many aspects that um, you've awakened us to as the industry. Uh, too, and it's just been a great uh, mutual relationship. And I tell you, the NDRN has so much valuable resources uh, on their website and the meetings that they offer. And um, I'm, I'm just glad that you guys are out there and doing the work that you do. So um, I know we're kind of getting close to the end here. Um, Mark and Kurt, I don't know if there's anything else you would like to let our listeners know about um, the code side or the actual work that the NDRN is doing. I'd, I'd like to add one thing I, because of the of the connections that, that we've made, not only with the 
alarm industry, but door hardware industry, we've been able to get uh, our protection and advocacy groups involved on on state level issues. Uh, some of the states that just pop into my head, we've we've gotten involved with in, in Washington, Michigan, Illinois, Virginia, Florida. Uh, we're always looking for opportunities to to let our voice be known and to let people know that the National Disability Rights Network, like Kurt pointed out, a legally the, a legally based advocacy group is is paying attention to what they're doing. And, and just that in itself has gotten some remarkable results. And, and Roger, this, if I can add to what Mark just said, through our FEMA funding, we were able to give small grants uh, to several of our programs, uh, to our Native American program in the southwestern part of the United States, to really focus on fire safety in these other unique settings. Um, and that has uh, brought together, as Mark said, uh, the local fire uh, officials and the disability community to have that kind of a conversation, which has, I think, produced some incredible results and awareness and, uh, and, and overall you know, attention to this issue. Yeah, so I guess along with that, Kurt and Mark, are there projects that you're looking to undertake for the next decade now that we've got a lot of awareness going on, a lot of interaction going on? What are you, what are you looking at as your next projects? Well, one project is we're, we're trying to work with the Access Board, which is the federal agency that sets the standards. And we are trying to convince them you know, that fire safety, uh, the utilization of uh, fire extinguishers, uh, the, uh, the, the auditory uh, alerts, all of those things really have to be you know, very clearly stated and heightened, especially taking in the new technology. As I referred to earlier, Roger, technology is our friend. It's helped us through a lot of difficult periods. You referenced the, the bus situation. Uh, one of the first things that the ADA did was require all uh, inner city buses to be accessible within 30 days of passage of the ADA. And that went along fairly well. Our problem was we couldn't get the bus drivers to call out the stops to people who were blind and visually impaired. And as a result, they continued to miss uh, their stops uh, consistently. But, and we had to fight with them and their union, frankly, to do that. Um, but then along came technology. And as you said, now most buses are equipped with uh, announcements. So we don't have to worry now about whether a bus driver uh, actually wants to or will call out that stop. So we're looking at that kind of your industry's constant uh, increase in technology and make sure that is part of you know, the regulations, the rules that the various, both the access board and the code people are taking into account. Uh, wonderful. And and, and just, just to add to that, I think making the, the disability community aware of the code change process. And as, as we all know that are, that are into this every day, it's, it's, a, it's a process and, and it doesn't happen overnight. And I think our, one of the biggest challenges I see us having in the future is keeping code change and adoption up with technology. And uh, those are going to be constant challenges as, as, as we do move forward. I know we're, we're, we're having some issues uh, with low frequency uh, smoke alarms. You know, the, the, the standalone units, they're having a problem with, with technology dealing with speakers and, and battery power that the fire alarm industry doesn't have. And we're, we're working to get those things resolved. 
but it's that it's that whole process that uh, a lot of the misconceptions on the part of the disability community was that well everything is the same everywhere and uh, there were a lot of misconceptions on the part of the fire service that the disability community was uh, the same everywhere and just bringing people together and making them aware of the of the of the capabilities and, and limitations that, that exist in so many different configurations across the country has, has been remarkable. And Roger, another uh, area uh, that is, that is uh, sort of coming up, and it's an example of what's been happening in the disability community for decades, safety often uh, overrides accessibility. Uh, and every time there's a major crisis, whether it's 9-11 uh, or uh, any other kind of, of natural disaster, you know, the tendency of people is to let, or school shootings, for example, is to let's harden the buildings. Let's let's make them safer. Um, uh, you know, and what that, often that does is uh, impedes the accessibility. And so what we're seeing in schools, for example, in, in a, a well-intentioned attempt to try to keep shooters, active shooters out of the school, they are trying to put in all kinds of uh, barriers. Um, but what that does is it decreases the ability of those students with disabilities to leave into, if there's a fire or some other kind of issue. And so your work on you know door operations, so we're constantly fighting with um, the schools and their community who think they're making things safer when in fact they may actually be uh, making things more dangerous for the students. No, great point, great point. And it's because of people like Mark being able to have a seat at the table to help educate everyone um, helped, helped us to understand uh, the challenges. So our, our time's come to an end here, Mark and Kurt, and I just wanted to really thank you for your time. And um, on a personal note, just thank you for the great work that you've done in the disability community. Um, and uh, thank you for um, imparting a little bit of what's going on in your world to our audience today. So thank you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Roundtable. Be on the lookout for more podcasts in the coming weeks covering a range of fire and life safety related topics. Before we wrap up, I wanted to mention that this podcast is for informational purposes and is not professional advice. We recommend you consult with your local authorities or seek professional counsel for your life safety needs.